think it becomes quite apparent that you are tremendously passionate about your work, about the environment, about the planet. And, and this is a little bit the pattern that we see a lot with next gens. Uh, and also when we go to, to family business events and programs, we see this energy and passion and concern among the next generation of, of enterprising families, uh, whether they're in business or investing through family offices. Now, you come from, from a family business with a long tradition, and as you say, the, the roots of that family business is with nature, the products from nature, with the flavors, the fragrances uh, that come from there. And as a matter of fact, we know that Ferminish is doing a lot on the sustainability front because they were one of the winners of our Sustainability and Family Business Award. So we're very familiar with all the initiatives that have been very much rooted in, in, in the core of your, of your family's DNA from the beginning. Now you come in as a next generation and you have this extremely impressive ambition to you know, not only continue in that legacy, but, but go in with this high impact investment strategy and to say kind of like, you know, it is my responsibility having born into this affluence, let's say, to, to put that money and that, that reputation and all the, all the weapons you have in your, in your pockets to work, to, to, to save the world, right? Uh, now, how does that work, embedding that into your family enterprise, into your family system, you know, what are the support systems that are there, also multi-generational, and, and maybe also some of the challenges that you've been facing or are facing as a next-gen trying to, to really transform something in a very short period of time in a, in a, in a hundred-plus-year-old family system? It's a great question. I have six family members here. Um, Look, I think I've been, I've been pretty blessed that our family company is one of the leading ones in this space. It's objectively, we, we win those awards, so it's not just me saying that. Um, I don't think it's a challenge to embed it inside of our family. We have a family philanthropy board. I'm, I'm inside of it. Um, I don't know, though, how many members of my family do their own philanthropy. I don't know what those numbers are like. I know my brother does a lot in oceans. Um, I think for me it's more... You know, this is a few years in, right? So sometimes you get imposter syndrome being on the stage in front of people who are way more, uh, let's say, advanced than you are. But this is a few years in, and my aspiration is to create models and structures that invite others in. Um, I'm quite determined on the things I think are important um, in that sort of biodiversity social nexus. And I have those conversations with my family um, and my aspiration would be that they can come along some of the, the things that, 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 um, that I do and that we do and I propose. A lot of my energy is spent also connecting with a lot of other families and networks. Yeah. And so I have the fortune of having mentors who are, you know, 70 years old and at my age took over and they've built up incredible, very, you know, very well-known foundations and they guide me in what they do. Um, so I do my best to, to listen to that. Hmm. Before I was showing this kind of picture with these three pillars on, on business transformation towards good and the investment side and the philanthropy, and, and you just said, and we see that a lot in, in families when it comes to philanthropy, that sometimes, of course, families end up doing philanthropic work together, mm -hmm. but oftentimes it happens in pockets. Etienne was alluding to it before, you know, how many of you are thinking about the same cause, how many of you are giving to the same causes, right? And that's the same in large family systems where we're all passionate about different things. And you know, your family is a very large family as well, so, so it's apparent that 
not everybody necessarily cares about the same topics, right? So I think one of the big challenges is, especially as you're building out also the investment arm through the family office, right? How do you create this, this collective impact? And, and right, so I would be keen to hear from you a little bit, you know, what your view is to, to also aligning investments and philanthropy uh, to have this big impact because there are some big philanthropists in the world that say to really have an impact, you also need to transform the core business. Just giving alone is not enough. And you're working on something yeah. that where you need to be quick, right? Yeah. Um, so in the last two years or so, I've applied a total portfolio approach mm. across all of the um, assets that are held in, in my name. Um, which means it's all 100% impact, best in class that you can do with those markets because I, I think it's hypocritical to no. invest in one way and do another. Um, but not only that, but we look at grantees where we do maybe catalytic um, funding or early stage funding or technical assistance facilities. And then you can graduate those into your venture portfolio and you can graduate those into your growth portfolio. So because I'm quite honed in on the areas that I look at, it gives the advantage that there's... Um, there's a focus in that. And then whether it's philanthropy or market capital, it's the same umbrella, it's just different tools. Yeah. Um, and yeah, so there's a sort of harmony in that. Um, and then I will just say with, with our family company, because I'm in the climate and biodiversity space, but working more in an entrepreneurial environment, I've been lucky to find certain, let's say, companies or approaches or frameworks that then I pass on to our head of sustainability in the company. And I think I'm more useful outside of that system mm. in the world, bringing ideas back in than necessarily um, being inside of it 100% um, you know, of my time. Yeah. No, and of course now, of course, as probably most in the room know, your, your family has gone through a pretty big transformation step, right, over mm -hmm. the last uh, months and years now with, with, the, with the move uh, and, and merge with, with DSM, which of course also, I guess, frees up certain capacities and certain resources to then go more into the investment side and do the impact investing, as you say, where, and you know, we're doing a big study right now on family offices. And what is interesting is when you hear a next generation member who went through a liquidity event, set up a family office and say, I really want to go in an impact investing approach, in a genuine impact investing approach, and devote, you know, not 5%, not 10%, but a significant percentage of the assets that are available to a specific cause or multiple causes. Mm -hmm. I think I hear that also a little bit uh, when I listen to you, that, that it's kind of this all-in strategy to, to fix a problem you're genuinely passionate about. I'd say the term impact investing has become trouble, troubling okay. or troublesome. Um, because it's kind of like a cute word. It's mm -hmm. like, oh, I do some nice impact investing. Yeah. To be honest, whether it's the mandatory disclosures that are coming on, on carbon, climate, biodiversity, whether it's regulation, most businesses that don't follow something that maybe used to be called impact investing yeah. will not succeed. And so for me, it's not a, a, a nice little impact portfolio. It's just logical and rational when you see a world that is in crisis that the only companies that will make it through are the ones that take that reality into account. Yeah. Um, where it becomes challenging is the quantitative and the qualitative um, impact measurement, if you will. My previous panelist, you know, you guys spoke about how you measure. Um, I think that when you're looking at education, when you're looking at society change, we co-define a lot of our metrics with our grantees. What is success for you and can we hold you accountable to that? And some of it is 
is in the space in between. It's liminal. It's not. Um, it can't necessarily be captured by a number. I see that also in my work with biodiversity. It can't always be captured by a number. And so that is a very challenging tension between, you know, how much do I need to control and see the outcome versus how much do I trust that this is a good organization that's doing good work. Um, and I think that impact investing is also asking itself those similar questions. Before you were mentioning that that one of the big jobs that you that you have uh, is the advocacy part, right? Mm -hmm. Speaking, like here, and you know when we look at philanthropy and also when we did our study, um, you know a lot of families have a more secret approach to philanthropy. So so traditionally, especially in Europe, philanthropy is something that not everybody speaks about very openly. What they do, they do it silently behind closed doors, and I think that is one of these trends that we also see. That, that philanthropy is becoming a little bit more public, a little bit more transparent, uh, and that this topic of collaborative philanthropy is also something, especially for these mega causes that, that just need a cure now not, or yesterday, right? Where it's not like I, I set up a, a foundation, a legacy foundation for, for eternity, but I need to devote my assets and my resources now because this needs to be fixed now and not in 200 years, right? So. Uh, do you do you see this trend as well towards more collaboration when you speak with other families, or or what's your observation a little bit, uh, especially for this project? There's a ton of collaboration. Um, there's a ton of collaboration happening. You know, as for, as for the speaking, um, it's not my my natural place to be. But if um, something, you know, if if you can say something and you meet someone in the crowd, I've often had that experience. Um, then it's then it's a positive thing. Um, I love the learning journeys that I've worked in throughout my career and these kind of leadership development of, of corporations and families. And I've trained as a facilitator in different group methodologies. I actually like these intimate 15 to 20 people groups where you go for four or five days, you have a focus, you spend time together, you look at challenges, you look at solutions, um, you do some inner work. And I've seen incredible things emerge from those kinds of containers. So it's why I continue to fund things like that. It's why I continue to uh, create them myself. I was, I'm, I'm going to one yeah. tomorrow as well. Um, so that kind of intimate collaboration is, is where I think the interesting stuff happens. Also because, like I said, there's, a, there's an internal landscape to all this work. And many people, when you meet them in a conference, they have a mask on. Mm. And so for me, it's important to meet people in places where we can be more direct and honest and challenging also with each other. Yeah, yeah. no, I, mm -hmm. that, that's highly inspiring. And I, I, I know all the work that you do is you know, super, super important. And I think the element of collaboration is so important. And it's something I think that, that again, is, is, is a next-gen driven thing. We see this breaking up much, much more and to say, let's work on this together. So, you know, I think also slightly aware of the time, I think now is a phenomenal moment to start this type of collaboration. And, you know, I know you will have to head out to, to Sweden pretty soon, but, but maybe there's still a little bit of a moment then outside in the, in the foyer so, so, so that all of you can start collaborating, fix the things that were broken, right? And I think we have somebody here who has all the energy in the world to do that. And I think uh, uh, if you want to help, I'm sure she's excited I about that. I appreciate that. Thank you. Thank you, Alexa. Thank you, thank you.